Uh, Acts 15, starting at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Well, as we said, it may not be the last time I say welcome to Kingfisher based on my last track record. It took me about a good few months to get into my head what church I was at. But it is certainly the last time that I'm preaching here of an evening service as the assistant minister at Kingfisher Church. You might welcome me back at other points. But, you know, times are changing. It's changing for me. It's changing for you. How well do you deal with change? How do you find change? You know, even when we welcome change, when we look forwards to change, when change is exciting, it can also be daunting. Change can be hard. I found that so in my life. Uh, Tanya and I joke at times, at least I think we joke, uh, about the, the sort of mini freakouts I've had in my life at times of significant change. So whether that's going to university, whether that's getting married, whether it's being a father for the first time. And even here in Little Paxton, when we moved into Tortoiseshell Walk and kind of the reality hits and lying uh, in bed at night looking at uh, a new ceiling with just boxes piled around and everywhere being sparse and just a sense of this just doesn't feel right. This feels weird. This doesn't feel homely. See, change, it can be exciting, uh, but it can also feel daunting. I've come to know that those experiences don't tend to last more than 24 hours with me. But in that moment, everything feels like it's up in the air. Change can be exciting. It can be daunting. Uh, Especially, you know, when it's big changes, lots of changes. And there's no going back when it's a permanent change. That sense of I can't get back to that place where I felt secure, or at least I understood what things were like. Things were kind of a bit more in my control, even if they felt completely out of control. Because when these changes happen, it can feel at times like we're, we're being tossed about in the waves of the sea. All these different things that are happening to us. And in those moments, what we feel that we want, what we need is, is some sense of stability. That's why at times there's that desire to go back. And there's times when we can't go back. Where do we find that stability? Where do we find that firm ground on which to stand in our constantly changing lives? What is that unchangeable foundation? Now we're going to be thinking something about that as we look through uh, this passage in Acts. Now we're back in Acts. We've been reading through Acts in our evening service. We've taken something uh, of a break 
But as we come to the end of uh, the term, we also come to the end of another section in the book of Acts. And I'm sure as you're well aware that the chapters uh, and the verses in the Bible, they weren't originally there. Luke wasn't writing Luke Acts thinking, you know what, I'll put a big 16 here and I'll put little numbers I go along. They were put in later and they're helpful for us to reference things and find where things are. But those aren't necessarily the natural breaks that we read in the book of Acts. And the breaks in the book of Acts are marked by uh, these phrases that come, a short summary phrase, which basically says the gospel continues to spread, the church continues to grow. And that's kind of the end of one chapter, the beginning of a new chapter. And so actually in the book of Acts, whenever a chapter ends, what we see is God's purposes are moving forwards. No matter what has happened, it always concludes with, and God's purposes continue to move forward. Uh, This evening, uh, verse 5 of chapter 16 is one of those markers. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. And that word strengthened there, it has a sense of uh, being made solid, of being firm. So the churches were strengthened, they were made firm in the faith, they were made solid. And in our passage this evening, we've got something of a, a sense of a period of change. Paul and Barnabas, they part company. Now, new teams are formed. Now, there's some similarities. We're not parting on bad terms. We've not had a disagreement. This was always part of the plan. But there is a change. There's a change in teams. Now, things change. Change can be exciting. As you said, it can be daunting. It can be scary. It's a time of change for all of us here It's the beginning of a new chapter, but one of the things we see in Acts is, you know, every chapter, it is marked by this truth that God's purposes are continuing to move forward. But as we come, as we look at uh, the end of this section this evening, my hope and my prayer for us in this period of change is that we would all be strengthened. We'd all be strengthened in the faith and that in our constantly changing circumstances, now that we will know that unchangeable foundation. The churches were strengthened, they were made firm, they were secure in the faith, and they grew daily in number. So the question is, how do we get to verse 5? That's what we're going to consider this evening. We're just going to work through this passage and make some comments as we go along. But considering that question, how do we get to verse 5? We're going to draw out what I think is the key reason for that. So it's been a while since we've been in Acts. We've had baptisms, we've had tea time church, lots of things to celebrate. So just a reminder, if you've forgotten, we're in Acts, Luke Acts, two volume work, and it's written for the purpose of showing that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all that God has promised. When we come to the book of Acts, we focus on the continued work of the risen and the ascended Jesus. And this section of Acts we've been looking at really begins at chapter 12, verse 25, and it goes through to 16, uh, verse 5. And it focuses on this initial mission to the Gentile churches, rather to the Gentiles, um, to form churches. So going out to the non-Jewish world. Paul and Barnabas, they take this message out. The last time we were looking at Acts, we were focusing on the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. So Paul and Barnabas have been out, they've been spreading the good news of Jesus uh, to the non-Jewish communities. And a group of people have gone out, they've gone out without any authorization off their own back. And they've been saying to these people, if you want to be saved, 
Not only do you need to believe in Jesus Christ, you also need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law of Moses. Basically, their message is Jesus is good, he's necessary, but he's not enough. You need Jesus, but you also need this. And so this causes something of a commotion. The apostles, the elders uh, gather together in Jerusalem. You get delegates who come from Antioch, so you've got Paul and Barnabas, and they go and they thrush out this question and they say, what does God say? What is God doing, they look at? What does God say through Scripture? And they come to this conclusion, perhaps unsurprisingly, in the book of Acts, that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all that God has promised. And therefore you don't need Jesus plus. Jesus alone is what you need. Faith in Christ. And so then this letter is sent out to churches uh, in the various regions and we can see, uh, what's that? Chapter 15, verse 23, to the believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. Uh, and they send out this letter to them, summarising their meeting and then adding a few practical matters in there. So it's in that context that we come to verse 36. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul says to Barnabas, you know, let's go, let's go and check, see what's happening. Let's see if these people are sticking with Jesus. Because this letter's gone out, it's gone out into Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. And probably Paul's thinking, you know what, these people who've been teaching this false gospel, they may have taken that to other places as well. And we see something of that, actually, when we get to verse 16, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 16, verse 4. So when they go to uh, Derby and to Lystra, Paul is also delivering to them uh, this letter, the decisions that were reached at the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So it may well be Paul has this concern, okay, this false gospel is spreading to some of the places where we've preached the gospel. Let's go and see how they're doing. Let's go and see that they are still sticking with Jesus, that they've not turned away, they've not turned their backs on him. So he says to Barnabas, let's go to the places where we've preached before. And Barnabas goes, great, great idea. Let's go, let's take John Mark with us as well. At which point, verse 38, Paul no, says, okay, let's put the brakes on this. Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued in the work. So John Mark, uh, fairly early on, leaves uh, the team. Uh, he's there with them in Cyprus and then shortly after uh, they leave Cyprus, uh, we see in verse 13 of Acts 13, John Mark, for some reason, returns to Jerusalem. Now Paul is writing to these, well Paul's wanting to go to these churches uh, and to encourage them to not turn back, to not turn back from following Jesus. Now John Mark turned back, he didn't turn back from following Christ, but for some reason and we don't know why, he turned back from this mission and he went back to Jerusalem. And perhaps Paul thinks it's going to be inappropriate if I'm going to these people and my main message is don't turn back and the guy I've got with me is a guy who has turned back at some point. And maybe that's what's going through Paul's mind. Now certainly later on in Paul's life, uh, he very much appreciates John Mark. So in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul describes him as being someone who is useful to him in the ministry. But here at this point, Paul thinks it's not wise. It's not a wise decision to take John Mark in this particular ministry. And something of an aside... 
You know, it may be that there are, are things that have happened in our life, decisions that we've made. And because of that, it's inappropriate for us to be involved in a particular ministry at a particular time. That's not to say it's wrong for us to be involved in any kind of ministry. It's not to say we're barred from all types of ministry. It's not to say we're barred from that ministry for all time. And it's certainly not to say that we're not a Christian. But there are certain things that sometimes means it's unwise to be involved in a certain ministry at a certain period of time. If someone was uh, in prison for fraud and they're released from prison uh, and they become a Christian, it's probably not the wisest thing to make them the church treasurer. Now, they could be totally reformed and totally changed, but it may not be the wisest thing, certainly not initially, to get them to be the church treasurer because it, it might undermine the particular message of that ministry. The gospel may be obscured because of people's perception, people's understanding of someone's past. It doesn't mean they're excluded from all ministry. It doesn't mean they're excluded from that ministry from all time. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian. It's a question of wisdom in particular circumstances. And that may well be the sort of perspective that Paul is bringing to the situation at this point in time. I just don't think it's wise to bring John Mark with us at this particular point, given the ministry that we're going on. It may seek to undermine it in some way. Now Barnabas takes a different view. He's keen to bring John Mark under his wing. And he did the same thing with Paul many years earlier. And actually at a point where Paul's past seemed to undermine his present ministry. So people couldn't see past Paul the persecutor to see Paul the preacher and to hear the message of the gospel. So when Paul goes to Jerusalem, no one wants to be with him. Because they think this is just another trap. This is a way that he's going to gather the Christians together and he's going to arrest them. And Barnabas comes alongside him and he brings him under his wing and he brings him to the apostles. So there seems to be two different approaches that Paul and Barnabas are perhaps taking here. And there are times where our past can obscure something of the gospel in a present ministry context. But then there are also times where someone's past can cause the gospel to shine forth even brighter. As you see what God has redeemed and what he's rescued them from. These may well be the two different perspectives that Paul and Barnabas are taking at this point in time. And it's not that one's right and one's wrong. Which may well be the reason why they come to such a sharp disagreement. It's not clear. Like You're definitely in the wrong here. You need to, to see this, this point. So they come to this sharp disagreement. And they part company. And it's something of a sad footnote uh, in Acts. As we've seen what Paul and Barnabas uh, have been doing. If they've been working together serving the Lord. And yet in all this God's purposes are not thwarted. Now the result is you've got two teams. Two different approaches. But what's the end result? How's the chapter end? Verse 5. The churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And so what happens then? Barnabas uh, and Mark, John Mark, they go down back to Cyprus, uh, which interestingly is the place where John Mark was with the team originally before he left them. And then Paul goes with Silas and they go through Syria and Cilicia, which are those, so it's Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, are the places that that letter from the Jerusalem Council was sent to. And so verse 
41, he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We'll come back to verse 41 uh, at the end. Uh, and then they come around to Derby, Lystra. This is the way that Paul's gone. And Barnabas and John Mark have gone down that way. Uh, and they meet Timothy. Uh, Paul meets Timothy. He gets him along to join part of their missionary team, but he circumcises Timothy. Which, given all that we've read in Acts 15, maybe seems a little bit odd. So in Acts 15, this, no, we're not going to give in to, to this. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's just Jesus Christ. You need to have your faith in. So why does he circumcise Timothy at this point? Is this, is this inconsistent? Now, Paul doesn't seem to think it's inconsistent because he does it. Luke, in writing it, doesn't think it's inconsistent because he happily records it. And so that probably suggests that if we feel there's a contradiction here, it will be more with our understanding than actually with what has happened. So why is it that Paul circumcises Timothy? Well, actually, we're told in verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy, he had a Jewish mother, we're told, and she'd become a believer. Uh, he'd had a Greek father. The tense uh, in the language here suggested his father had died. So Timothy, he's not a Gentile. He's kind of half Jewish and should have been brought up in the Jewish faith. It's likely that he's viewed with suspicion, perhaps, uh, with the Jews in that area. And notice what it says in verse 3. It is because of the Jews who lived in that area. Paul does this because they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, later in Acts, uh, as Paul comes to Jerusalem, we read of this accusation that's leveled against Paul. Uh, Acts 21, verse 21. I've got that on the screen. Um, they say they've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles. Just is going to refer to Timothy and his family. To turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. And this accusation seemed to be at the forefront of people's minds to the point that it obscured their view of the gospel. This was a thing that they would have seen when they saw Timothy. Rather than hearing that gospel message. Now I knew a guy who uh, liked to preach wearing odd socks. Um... Uh, and without any shoes on. So being in shorts, no shoes, wearing odd socks. And for the people in that church, they used to find it somewhat distracting. It was a constant source of feedback. And I counseled him, you know what, just wear a pair of shoes. It's not that big a deal. Because at the moment, people are not hearing the message of the gospel. And yes, no, it's the gospel that is going to change and it's going to transform people's perspective. But at the moment, they're not hearing that because they're so distracted by what you are doing uh, and what you're wearing that they can't hear the very message that they need to hear. Now, it's not the message of the gospel is Jesus plus shoes. But in this instance, you need to wear shoes so people can see that the message of the gospel is Jesus. I think there's a similar thing that's going on here with Paul uh, and with Timothy. Now, Timothy should have been circumcised already. And Paul circumcised him, so it's not going to be this distraction for these local Jews. 
So it's the gospel of Christ that becomes the main focus. And that's one of the things we see in this passage. You know, whether it's John Mark or, or whether it's Timothy, it seems that Paul is driven by this desire that nothing but the gospel is the main focus. That the thing that people are caught by, the thing that people see, is the gospel of Christ. That the gospel's not to be distorted. That's what Acts 15 is about. You don't add things to the gospel. The gospel's not to be distorted. That's the motivation then of this mission in Acts as they go around to the other churches. And the gospel's not to be obscured. And that's something of the method of this mission in Acts. The gospel's not to be distorted. It's not to be obscured. Why? Because the gospel is how we get to verse 5. That's how the churches are strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. The good news about Jesus Christ, because it is Christ who strengthens, as we sung at the beginning. Here's the cornerstone. The wheat made strong in him is the gospel of Christ that makes us firm. Because all of this that we read here, remember that follows on from this council in Acts 15. Correcting this false teaching that we're saying what you need is you need Jesus plus something else. And so as we extend that out into the passage that we're reading here in verse 5, it's not that we're strengthened by Jesus plus something. We don't need Jesus and something else for us to be strengthened, for us to be firm. That we are strengthened, that firmness comes about through Jesus alone. Which is a great encouragement in times of change when life feels like it's shifting sands. Because it doesn't, well that means then we don't have to wait until those sands settle before we can find that firmness, before we can find that security. Because that firmness, that strengthening comes through Christ alone. Life around us can feel all chaotic. We don't need to sort that all out to find that strengthening, that firmness. It doesn't come through our ever-changing circumstances. It comes through the unchangeable Christ. There's a message that I, I needed to hear again this week. The beginning of this week felt a bit daunting. I mean, July has been mad, hasn't it? For many of us, it has been a mad month. And at the start of the week, I was feeling somewhat overwhelmed. There were all these things that I was seeking to do and turn my hand to, and it felt like I was failing at every single one of them, that I wasn't achieving things that I was setting out to do. And it's feeling like I'm somewhat of a failure and I'm a disappointment. And in those moments, it's so easy to start heading down that route, the road of measuring our worth by what it is that, that we achieve, you know, what it was that I was achieving, or in this case, not achieving. And the temptation then is to just press further into those things and sort it out, and the shifting sands, and if I can get them to stay still, For a moment, if I can control the situations around me and establish some sense of control, now then I can feel firm. Then I can feel secure. So it wasn't so much that these things needed to get done. There were things that needed to get done. But it was more that I needed them to be done because in sorting those things, I could have that sense of stability. Because in the chaos, and in the chaos of of change, we need, we want unmovable ground. How do we find it? Just look back at verse 41. 
So as Paul and Silas, they go through these areas and they're delivering this message. They went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And the word strengthening here has a sense of resting, of leaning into, of pressing into. So Paul and Silas are going with this message to the churches that Jesus is enough. That's what Acts 15 is about. Christ is sufficient. He is all you need. And so they're going and they're strengthening the churches by saying, rest on him. Lean into him. Be strengthened in him. You don't need Jesus plus circumcision. And we don't need Jesus plus a sense of competence. It's not Jesus and a nicely ordered life. And we bring the mess of our life to Jesus. And so when things feel chaotic, when they're up in the air, now when we feel like we're failing at everything that we turn our hand to, we can be strengthened because the strengthening doesn't come from our circumstances. It doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from our endurance. It comes from the unchangeable Christ. And the message of Acts is Jesus is still at work. Jesus is still at work. He's still building his church. He's still strengthening. He's still making his church firm. That's why we get to read what we read here in verse 5. Times are changing. But gloriously, Jesus isn't. The same Jesus we read about in the Gospels, the same Jesus we read about in Acts, who is working who is establishing, who is strengthening his church, is the same Jesus who is at work now in his church, in and amongst us today. Jesus doesn't change. And so, you know, whether here in Little Paxton, whether as we go on to Thurfield, the church can be strengthened. May the church be strengthened. May we be strengthened. And it doesn't come through resting on our past achievements or our present exertion. But as we lean into, as we press into the unchangeable Christ, the churches are strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in number. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that that he has not changed, that he remains the same. Lord, gloriously the same. Father, that you never change. Or that your promises never change. That that your spirit doesn't change. Lord, that your works are not diminished. Lord, your grace is never exhausted. Lord, your love toward us is never cold. Lord, there are times of change that we, we all face what we face uh, as a church. Or we face individually uh, in our lives. Lord, better help us to see, Lord, your unchangeable nature. Lord, and may we be strengthened. Lord, even when it may feel like life around us is spinning wildly out of control. Lord, that we may know that glorious strengthening. Uh, that comes through Jesus Christ. And that our lives may increasingly be a living testimony of your goodness, of your grace, Lord, of your kindness towards us. 
Lord, help us to press in, uh, to lean in hard, Lord, into Christ in those times where life feels unstable. And will you be quick to answer, Lord, quick to show us, Lord, that certain and secure foundation uh, that we have in Christ. Amen.